take two Oscar-nominated actors, a script where the main lead talks to himself for about half the movie, and a character with a not-so-great cinematic history, and toss them all together into a film about hungry goo. Things are about to get sticky as we set out to prove to you that 2018's Venom is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And things are about to get sticky in here. Not in the good way like you would like, though, because we are talking 2018's Venom. And joining me on the show today, my wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? I am good. It's, it's, a, it's been like, what, two minutes since we've seen each other? <laughs> <laughs> the, the nice part of living with your co-host. But I don't often get the chance to ask you how you're doing. <laughs> right? Well, well that, that's the problem with like, you know, work from home and parent from home and all that. It's like, you know, we're here all day together. We just don't actually get to talk to each other. Because and we still talk to each other at the end of the day so that's pretty we're, do, uh, we're doing something right at this point pretty commendable and by doing something right not only am I, by do i mean about our marriage but we also are doing something right and talking about this superhero movie now truth be told it took a while for me to get carrie indoctrinated into geek culture but when you watched venom you really enjoyed it so you were a little surprised as to why this movie actually qualified for the show I I did. I'm shocked, actually. And I'm sure we'll get to it later. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. I am even more shocked that we're not talking about Venom Carnage. Really? Hmm. Hmm. But we will get to that in a little bit. But before we dive into the hungry goo that is Venom, it's time to take this movie and trailerize it. In a world without Spider-Man... Yet still with the Daily Globe and J. Jonah Jameson's son, one film sets out to prove one thing, that there is life after Topher Grace. Watch as Tom Hardy bumbles and jokes his way through a script about a man-eating symbiote that needs to feed on living flesh, or it devours its host from the inside. Yummy. Venom. The film that proves that Sony can has heroes too, but only if they're dark, lethal, and rated PG, just like DC. Step out of the Spider-Verse and into Venom. <laughs> wow. Okay, you made that sound dark. <laughs> this movie's a comedy, yo. <laughs> Which is the funny thing, though, because when you think about Venom as a character, he is a bit on the darker side. Like, he does eat people. Like, it's, it's a raging symbiote that, that attaches itself to different people and takes control of them. It's not a light character, yet somehow they kind of made a fun film. And it kind of sits in that middle ground of, like, Marvel and DC, where if DC is... You know, the, the the family relative you definitely don't talk about and you definitely don't visit and you kind of wish you weren't related to them. And Marvel is the cool uncle you want to spend all your time with. Venom's just kind of there, right smack dab in the middle. Dark character, 
lighter tone. Somehow it works though. Now we did mention, of course, uh, Tom Hardy in the trailer eyes. So let's go through who this stars. It does star Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Riz Ahmed, Jenny Slate, and Reed Scott. And full spoiler alert, there was a cameo by Woody Harrelson. We'll get to that in a little bit. However, there is an almost starred list in this. In the role of Carlton Drake, who is played by Riz Ahmed, we almost had Matthias Schonertz, Matt Smith, or Pedro Pascal, who most people will know as the Mandalorian, and of course in that new Nick Cage movie that's coming out that just looks way too much fun. I could see either a Matt Smith or a Pedro Pascal in this role. It's it's very interesting, even though I, I did like Riz Ahmed, and we'll get to the breakdown a little bit, but I mean, Matt Smith, of course, is about to make his, you know, Sony Spider-Verse debut in Morbius coming up. And of course, Pedro Pascal, he's he's a little busy with Star Wars right now. But does it surprise you that these names pop up for that role? I think, first of all, like I'm today years old learning this. <laughs> and I think I would have loved to have seen Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, I think that would have been brilliant. And um I'm very much looking forward to seeing how he comes across in in Morbius because, Mm -hmm. I mean, Matt Smith can go incredibly dark or incredibly funny. And I think he would have been so perfect. The humor that he would have brought would have been so perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I really did admire about Riz Ahmed is that I felt... He was so, he he definitely had a kind and gentle side. I mean, seeing <laughs> him with the, the tour group of children. Um, you and I see Riz Ahmed very differently in this, apparently. You know what? <laughs> I, I, I liked him. I liked him because I really do think that he's a bad guy. Yeah. But a bad guy with a soft heart? I don't know. Possibly. Like, but we'll, Possibly. But we'll, talk, we'll talk about him a little bit more in the breakdown, but with Matt Smith, of course, joining Morbius, he continues the trend of, you know, new generation Doctor Who actors that have finally made the leap over to uh, comic roles, whether it be DC or Marvel. Of course, we had David Tennant in Jessica Jones, who, I'm sorry, Jessica Jones, David Tennant was the absolute best part of season one bar none of course you got karen gillen who is uh, nebula in uh, guardians of the galaxy and avengers you've got uh, peter capaldi who of course was in the suicide squad as as the thinker and of course there was a very small uh cameo by jenna coleman in the first captain america movie so slowly but surely the doctor who averses is infiltrating our comics world i want to see more billy piper I'd be curious. I would love to see Billy Piper make the jump. I just don't know what character she would play. That'd be that that that's a fan cast somewhere down the road for sure. Absolutely. However, as Venom, this one this one shocked me a little bit here. Yes, we have Tom Hardy, and yes, Tom Hardy was like one of the driving factors in getting a lot of the actors on board with this. But we almost had apparently. Kellen Lutz, who played Emmett Cullen from Twilight as Venom, or, and I kid you not, according to IMDb, Stephen Ferrelli, most people will recognize him as Seamus 
from WWE has Venom. Uh, just no. Mm. No. Yeah. No. Although I will say, uh, we did mention, of course, uh, spoilers. Uh, the movie is, you know, as I'm doing my math here, six years old now. So um, if you haven't seen Venom by now, go see Venom. Um, but of course, Woody Harrelson appears in this at the end of the movie and, of course, is in the, the second movie as Carnage. Um, but we only see him as Cletus, Ca- uh, Cletus Cassidy in this one. I could see Seamus as Cletus Cassidy. Maybe not so much Venom. Uh, it was directed by Ruben Fleischer. Now, this is his third time in the director's chair. And previous to this, uh, he directed Zombieland and Gangster Squad, which starred uh, Emma Stone. Currently, he has Uncharted that's in theater. So we have a very, very good director in the chair for this one. But there was actually a list of directors that almost directed this one. And I'm so glad that we got Ruben Fleischer in this one because... Apparently, apparently, Josh Trank was in negotiations to direct this, and the name brings horror chills to you. That's because Josh Trank was the one that butchered the Fantastic Four. Absolutely butchered the Fantastic Four. There were other directors who were in consideration. Uh, Alex Kirkman and Dante Harper, of course, were uh, originally set to direct and write. And Gary Ross, who also directed Pleasantville and The Hunger Games, uh, was in talks to direct. I think we got the right director because I do not want to see what happened to the Fantastic Four happen to Venom. Do you think that it was because of the direction or the actors or like the the script writers that made Venom as light as it was, because it could have been, as you mentioned in the, in the opening, it could have been a very dark Mm -hmm. character. It could have been a very different movie. Do you feel that that was in his hands? Um, Yes and no to a point. I mean, the fact that Raven Fletcher has Zombieland, under his under his belt as far as like his first major uh, film directorial debut or cinematic theatrical release. Um, we have someone who's able to balance comedy as well as, you know, serious tone because, you know, even though that is, you know, Woody Harrelson looking for Twinkies in the zombie apocalypse, it's still an action film because it's still a zombie film. I think with superhero films, and it's been proven time and time again, that a little bit of levity goes a long, long way. Um, Last week, we talked about how we went to go see the Batman, and that was a very, very not funny tone. And that for some comic book movies, that works. The Crow was dark and needed to be dark. Judge Dredd, you see the dichotomy in two different films. One that went the light route with Sylvester Stallone and one that went the other way with Carl Urban. Say what you will about either or of them. Um, Whichever one you like kind of indicates which way you like your superhero movies to go. The DC Universe has always been accused of being, you know, so dark. However, you take a look at Aquaman, you take a look at Shazam and Peacemaker and you you have a lot of levity and that actually made those films that much better um and i think that showed in the box office because this movie had an estimated budget of 100 million dollars fair for a superhero film worldwide gross 
$1,856,000,000 million domestically took in 213. So this is a major money winner. There's no doubt about it. It also debuted on its opening weekend at number one, coming out on the exact same day as a star is born. So Venom overtook, like, you know, Oscar nominee Phil to star is born. Um, those were the two major releases that came out that weekend. Um, Venom actually stayed in number one for two weeks and eventually was knocked out by uh, Halloween. But of course, you put a Halloween out mo- or Halloween movie out near Halloween, it's going to go to number one, especially if it's got Jamie Lee Curtis. So box office wise, it did very well. And awards wise, it was a, a bit of a mixed bag here. So I have the list of notable awards here. Technical awards, it did very, very well. Um, it actually won for the uh, Best Work with a Vehicle Stunt Award at the Taurus World Stunt Awards. Um, it was most uh, won for Most Popular U.S. Film in China at the Chinese American Film Festival. Um, Tom Hardy was nominated for Favorite Actor at the Faroe Island Film Festival. And Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams were nominated for Best Kiss at the MTV Movie and TV Awards. They lost that one to Noah Centineo and uh, Lana Condor into All the Boys I've Loved Before. However, however, there are some less than stellar awards that it was nominated for. At the 2018 Golden Schmoes Award, it was nominated as Biggest Disappointment of the Year. It lost to The Predator. And then at the Houston Film Critics Society Awards, it was nominated for Worst Picture. It lost to The Happy Time Murders. Now, I'm not saying that The Happy Time Murders and The Predator are a worse film or a better film than Venom, but I don't think Venom deserved to be in the worst picture or biggest disappointment of the year category. Like, how do you take a look at a film with with arguably great stunt work, great CGI, and really big name actors? Maybe biggest disappointment you could make an argument for, but definitely not worst picture. See, I don't get it. I thought this movie was so fun and um i mean uh, again i absolutely i enjoyed it i i i think it it did not get the respect that it was due Mm -hmm. Uh, i will say according to the the critics this is where this is this is how we're talking about venom because on rotten tomatoes it has a 30 percent tomato meter and an 81% audience score. Over on Metacritic, it's a 35% Metascore, and on IMDb, it's a 6.7 out of 10 rating. So clearly, the viewers loved it. Mm -hmm. The critics didn't. Why is that? Again, maybe they were expecting something different, something darker. Um, Maybe... Maybe they were hopeful of, uh, you know, Spider-Man making a, an appearance in the movie. Possibly. Possibly. Because um, I, I'll admit, um, there was a movie that came up before this called Life. And starred Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rebecca Ferguson. And 
I, and I know many others out there, were convinced that this was a Venom prequel. That everything about it, even the fact that in Venom itself, you know, Riz Ahmed works for The Life Project, you have a movie called Life about an alien symbiont-like creature that's in space. Venom opens up with a spaceship crashing onto Earth. Like, seriously, how is Life not the prequel to Venom? Even though they've debunked it, they said, no, it's not, but it may as well be. Um, But I think a lot of it comes from what came before because this is not Venom's first cinematic outing. Topher Grace played Eddie Brock in Spider-Man 3. Most people remember Spider-Man 3 for the time when Tobey Maguire went full emo and uh, started dancing in the middle of the street. Not the best Spider-Man outing, but yet in comparison, Spider-Man 3 has a 63% tomato meter with a 51% audience score. So this one went the other way where the critics liked it better than than the the audience did. So why is the audience more on board with Venom than the critics, but the critics are more on board with Spider-Man 3, which was the worst Tobey Maguire film as far as Spider-Man movies go. The audience sees it. What's wrong with the critics? Again, it's an interesting question, and it kind of had me thinking maybe that's what was drawing people into the theaters to see it. Um... And, you know, what gave it its popularity once it had the viewers in there was the comedy. Mm -hmm. I I really um, can't say enough about how fun this movie was (laughs) in spite of, um, you know, I mean, really at, at, at the... I don't know, at the core of everything, you tend to have to wonder, you know... um, is Venom like is he is he good is he bad um this movie paints him in such a lighter tone that you kind of have trouble seeing him as like a really bad character Mm -hmm. um (laughs) I mean you know he's he's not he's not the greatest dude to hang out with for sure um i i really think he's doing a number on on eddie and i (laughs) like you know is there life after venom for eddie brock we don't know possibly possibly Uh, probably not no (laughs) no interestingly you said you liked this one better than the sequel correct but the critics disagree with you because on Rotten Tomatoes, Venom 2 has a 58% tomato meter and an 84% audience score. The meta score is also higher, 49 as opposed to 35 for the original. How much of this is almost upward trending because Venom wasn't as bad as people probably originally went thought going into it because Sony... hmm, there's been so much rebooting as far as Spider-Man goes and whatnot. How much of the two is the fact that Venom, um, Let There Be Carnage, spoiler alert, has that reference to Venom entering the multiverse? How much of how much of that MCU reference 
actually, I think, do you think boosted the critic score for the sequel? You know, it's an interesting question because, and it's a really good one. Um, I think for myself personally, I was almost disappointed because I think I went into uh, the sequel, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, with higher expectations because of the star power. I was watching it for Woody Harrelson. I was so excited and it kind of fell flat, I think. Kind of a discount natural born killers. I I don't know what, I, I wouldn't go that far. However, um, I just found that comparing the two, I enjoyed the first movie better. Um, I loved, and if you haven't seen the movie, stick around for the post credit scene, as always, <laughs> loved it. Um, because, you know, at the, at the time it was like, what? And then, yeah, and then Venom Let There Be Carnage came out and, you know, it all became so clear. Um, I don't know. I Comparing the two movies, I really enjoyed the first one. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Well, let's jump from there into the breakdown. And of course, we have to start with Eddie Brock himself, Tom Hardy. Your take on the man in the symbiont. 
I thought he was so likable. He there was something um incredibly likable about him even though he kind of was 150% responsible for ruining his own life. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he's he's likable in how he, he screws everything up for everybody and himself. You brought it on yourself, sir. Um, <laughs> uh, did he deserve to become 50% venomous villain? Half uh, man, half goo. <laughs> <laughs> eh, maybe not. Um, but... Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting, I think, because the movie starts out and he seems to have this absolute perfect life. He has a fiance that loves him. You know, he's got his television show. Things are going well. And, you know, you kind of have to almost expect it. No, this is not <laughs> not going to last. It's all going to end and end very badly. And by the way, you're going to be, you know, a venomous monster. See, I see it very, very differently. And, you know, and part of that might just be, you know, that I'm just a straight up comic book geek kind of thing. Um, but Eddie Brock in this, I mean, it's obviously, it's post him getting booted out of New York for, you know, messing that, that the reason why Eddie Brock is in San Francisco is because in the comic book lines, um, he was kind of pressured to do the story on um, a serial killer called the Sin Eater. Um, but when he published it, he actually got the story wrong. Spider-Man found the original, the actual Sin Eater. Um, and then Eddie Brock got fired and kind of ran out of New York because no one wanted to touch him because he had botched this massive story. Now he's out in San Francisco. So that's kind of implied. They even mentioned the fact that he got kicked out of, out of the Daily Globe and whatnot. So when we meet Eddie Brock... Even though he's got his TV show and, you know, he seems to have it together a little bit. To me, he just seems really fragile, really, really fragile. And the fact that, you know, it, it's the kind of smile that hides that, that underlying nervousness about everything. And even though he feels like he's doing the right thing, part of him, I think, knows he's not doing the right thing. You know, he, he goes into to Anne's email to get this information. He, he knows what he's doing is not right, but yet he still does it anyway. He knows that there's a lot on the line with this interview with, uh, with, with Carlton Drake, but he butchers it anyways and pushes for this information that he can't really reveal his source because it's Anne, right? Like, there's so much that he does wrong. And, you know, he could have stopped. He absolutely could have stopped, but he didn't, you know? And I think part of it, too, is his portrayal of Eddie. Now, in doing my research on IMDb, apparently... Apparently, he mentioned that uh, his for inspiration for how he was going to act as Eddie Brock, he looked to Woody Allen, Conor McGregor and Redman. I'm going to say that again. Woody Allen, Conor, literally Woody Allen, Conor McGregor and Redman walk into a bar. The bar is Eddie Brock's head. That's how he he approached Eddie Brock. And I can kind of see the Woody Allen-ness to it. But then apparently in his, you know, as he's developing his relationship with Venom, his point of reference for that 
is freaking Ren and Stimpy. Like the relationship between Ren and Stimpy, that's how he got in the headspace for how he was going to have this relationship with Venom. <sighs> how do I put this kindly? You idiots! Why? Like, I get they're going for a lighter tone. I get they're going for that PG-13 rating, but Ren and Stimpy? For I, Venom? I think, <laughs> I think, though, once he kind of came to terms that he was now sharing his body or his headspace um, with Venom, like, it was almost like Stockholm Syndrome, right? At first, he was, like, I think... Once he got over the initial shock that it had happened to him, um, you, you know what? I had a problem with this movie, and I'm probably going to circle back to this point. But the biggest problem that I had was that everybody around Eddie Brock was so accepting of the fact that he was now what? Venom, <laughs> like, like everyone's just kind of okay with it. His, you know, ex-fiance Anne and her boyfriend, uh, the doctor, doctor, were like, Doctor Dan, <laughs> we're like, yeah, okay, you know, it's cool. We'll, uh, we'll just try to help you out. Yeah, you, you got a weird, funky parasite growing inside of you. That's, uh, that that that's normal. It, that's- like totally normal. And you know, uh, Mrs. Chen at 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 the end of the movie, where I mean, granted, you know, it kind of helped venom helped her mm-hmm. big time but you know she was okay with it she's she's cool everyone's like <laughs> I'm, I'm just, sorry if i see any single one of my friends turning into a half a giant goo monster yeah a half mutated monster i think i'm gonna turn tail and run yeah <laughs> but it, it, it does make me wonder exactly how many people have their heads eaten by by giant goo creatures in san francisco that this seems normal yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. If I'm Mrs. Chen and I see Venom, like, all of a sudden appear and eat someone in front of me, I'm running. I'm running fast. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm not even looking behind. Like, I, I'm literally running across the country. I'm going to New York and I don't need wheels. Which leads me to the point that it makes me wonder, what is their norm mm-hmm. in this you know, San Francisco comic book world of Venoms and, and Eddie Brock's. I mean, like, you know, is this is this kind of thing kind of every day? I mean, they've got Spider-Man, um, I'm assuming, in the same... Which, which is interesting because... <laughs> it's interesting because... Um, I mean, I'm going to drop a major Spider-Man No Way Home spoiler here. So, you know... Feel free to skip ahead like a minute or two um, if you if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home. But there's a post-credit scene um, with Venom in it. And he's getting all this information but all these superheroes from the bartender that he's sitting in front of. Like, like the way that scene plays out, it's like there's no superheroes in his universe. So it's, it's very baffling. But if you also think about it as well, Ant-Man from the MCU is set in San Francisco. So you could arguably say that, okay, well, San Francisco has their superheroes. It makes sense. But the whole post credit scene at the end of No Way Home kind of dispels the fact that, 
yes, conceivably, you could argue that, you know, because Ant-Man exists in in San Francisco, then it makes sense that people would be would be more not accepting, but at least understanding that there's a giant goo monster that eats people in front of Mrs. Chen. Not that Ant-Man would ever do that. <laughs> Let's jump over to Michelle Williams, okay? Uh, and weighing. Now, I think Michelle Williams is a great actress. I also think for, I'd say about 75% of this film, she is way underused and misused in this. You think so? I do. And, you know, part of it comes back to Doctor Strange, right? Here you have Rachel McAdams, like a very good actress. And really kind of just playing that, not necessarily damsel in distress, but definitely not, a, you know, uh, as as an as important character as someone of that stature should be. Now, a lot of it, like, like, take a look at Natalie Portman in the Thor movies, right? Here we have someone who's clearly solving the problems. And of course, like, she's also going to eventually be Thor in Thor Love and Thunder. However, like, if you have a Michelle Williams, use her a bit more, even though her character did develop a bit more throughout. Um, it just seemed like the character didn't come to fruition until Eddie Brock started to fall apart. Hmm. I see that very differently as well. Um, I kind of felt like, yes, it was pivotal that she was Eddie Brock's fiance, very much in love. Um, and then, you know, he clearly um, hacked her computer, um, I didn't really hack. Well, okay. He checked her confidential email and used the information mm. um, for his own benefit. And, you know, of course, she was she was very right to be... Pissed. Pissed. I, I feel like they didn't really show enough and just kind of made her look absolutely cold that she moved on so quickly. That that's that's like if you one look thing. at the timeline. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I really wanted to point out is that there was like the 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 difference in time. This is one of the things that bugged me about The Dark Knight Rises is that the whole passage of time felt glossed over to the point of things felt like they were running back to back to back. So it felt really odd that she was like like, Dr. Dan already had a key to the house kind of thing. Mr. Belvedere doesn't miss him at all. And, like, like there's, there has to be time in between for her to get to that point with Dan. But we don't see that time. It doesn't feel, like, that's the, that's the biggest sticking point in the script and the direction of this for me is that that's, that, that section seemed to move way too much, which is why I think maybe Michelle Williams felt a bit off until she was, you know, in action mode and, and actually doing the things. There were a lot of pacing issues though. I mean, like I said, the whole, um, like coming to terms with, for Eddie Brock, sharing his body and his mind now with Venom, Mm -hmm. he just seemed to be okay with it. Like, you know, it took what a day, half a day, (laughs) and then he's okay with it. Um, and I'm not sure if they needed, I don't know, to put more of a timeline in 
or I mean, it, it was just fine. We're just sitting here dissecting the movie and probably way overthinking things. Yeah, but that's what we do. Yeah, we 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 way overthink things. We we end up with more questions than we have answers. Um, but I, yeah, I think if there was some way to show that time passed, then it, then that that character development with Anne would have felt a bit more. But again, you have like when when she started to like the whole becoming she venom thing and whatnot, and you know going to. Uh, life life industries there or whatever it is uh and to, to help eddie out like that's when her character really started to come into her own um because she is a strong character she's she, and she's you know uh, you know clearly someone with a good heart but yeah it's just there there needed to be some kind of way to show that she got to from point a to point b like like she went from point a to point z and we don't know how she got there we started talking um, earlier on in the show about Riz Ahmed, um, who played uh, Carlton Drake. I loved him in this, but you started going on about him having a good heart. I honestly thought so. Um, I mean, was he a bad guy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was a bad guy. Um, actually, he was pretty... Uh, he was pretty... He's a sociopath. Evil. He's the a straight up sociopath. Turned, <laughs> the way he turned on, um, on, on, on Jenny Dora. Slate, yeah, on, yeah. on Dora. Dora but Skirth. exactly. But but the thing is, like, he was able to turn on the charm when he needed to. He was able to um, bolster the spirits of 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 those in lesser situations in order to benefit him. And if they died, they died. And that, like that's a sociopath. That is a straight up sociopath. Riz Ahmed played it perfectly. And I think almost needed to. Because why else would all these people, you know, at Life Industries go on with what they're doing if he isn't the kind of character that can motivate people to do the things that they know they shouldn't? It's true. Um, I, I guess I just really liked the angle with um with the children and giving the tour of the facility. However, I did note that as much as he encouraged the little girl to ask questions, she never got her question in. No. He totally skirted her question. <laughs> I am curious what question she would have asked him. Why are you such a sociopath? <laughs> that has to be the question. But but there's the thing, right? And there it's it showed in everyone around him, right? And even that scene with the kids, right? Yeah, he can turn on the charm because it's a pub, it's a publicity event. It's a PR thing. Right. You know, as soon as as soon as the, the parents and the, 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 the you know, investors and they aren't there, you know, he doesn't care about them. You know, he doesn't care about the homeless people that he's using in his studies. He just doesn't care about people. He cares about what people can do for him. That's about it. They are pawns to him. And it made sense that the riot symbiote blended with him that's the other thing too but eddie brock like here we have a guy who has entirely messed up his life and ever, the lives of everyone around him you know as venom called him a loser why him why did venom match so well with eddie brock riot 
like the, the, the gray symbiote, you know, like, like merging with, with Drake, that makes sense. They're almost like two of the same mind. Eddie and Venom? Really? I don't know. I, I think it had to be Eddie. I mean. Oh, the comic book says so. Well, <laughs> yes. And um, I, I think it was almost kind of um, his. Not his retribution. That's probably the wrong word, but almost his, like his redemption arc. His redemption arc. His, yeah. his his way to get back, and the, and that's the thing too. Like if you go back and watch Spider Man three, right when Peter Parker uh, merges with the Venom symbiont, you know he gets this, you know uber confidence when he's peter parker that he didn't have before and he's strutting around and you know he's 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 dressing up and you know he's acting very not peter parker like um that's what the venom symbiont does to people um but eddie brock is already kind of there a little bit because he's doing things that he knows he shouldn't um so maybe that is maybe maybe that that's where the just it just seems that if Venom is supposed to be this, you know, lethal, like he even said it himself, right? Like the whole reason why the symbionts came to Earth was to obliterate the planet, it was basically take it over. Um, so why merge with Eddie and work with a loser? But you know, maybe that's just me. Unless he was looking for someone that he could control and manipulate, someone who was so low. Mm. in his daily life. I mean, you know, he, Eddie certainly didn't have much to motivate him um, to, he, he to hit rock bottom, be yeah. his best self. Um, so, you know, why not, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, Riz Ahmed to me played Drake very, very well. Like just a good sociopathic villain. And further to that, I think, I mean, would it not be kind of obvious to Eddie that if he finds a way to rid himself of Venom, then he's just as dead as any one of the the homeless test subjects. But see, there were a couple times where the symbiote was pulled. This is the, th- the reason why the symbiote, like the people died was because it wasn't eating what it needed to eat. So it turned to the host and fed off it so it could continue to live. So the fact that, you know, Eddie kind of worked at a bargain with Venom to eat whatever it needed to eat, that's kind of why the symbiote still survived because it didn't need to feed off Eddie to survive itself. You know, it's just a very, very, you know, not the best relationship, let's put it that way. And then it just turns into a buddy flick. Like Ren and Stimpy. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, Stimpy, you idiot. <laughs> now I want to go back and watch Ren and Stimpy. Um, speaking of comedies, let's talk about Jenny Slate. Um, we're more familiar with Jenny Slate for her um, her voice work and for comedies. This is one of the first films that she really got to sink her, her teeth into a, bo- a more of a dramatic role. I really liked her in this as Doris Girth. Okay. But... She, what, brings Eddie into the test facility and then just leaves him there? I mean... Well, well there was a security guard, so she had to, to make 
things normal. But once again, Eddie ruining things for everybody else. She said, don't touch anything. What's the first thing he does? Touches things. Well, okay. But I mean. <laughs> don't touch the red button. What? This red button? <laughs> again, it, it falls back to that everybody was just so, so okay with, you know, the things going on. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm sure that she had to know that the alarms were going off. Things weren't going well. She never went back to check <laughs> on him. She just, what, she got out of there as fast as she could? I'm just curious why the hell she just kept going back to work. Like, if the symbiote gets out, she's got to know that they're going to be looking for what the hell happened. Run. And just, just run. If she doesn't go back to work and at least, you know, try to make an appearance, they're going to know. Well, at least she's got a head start then. <laughs> True. It's not like they low-jacked her. Like, she's got a head start. Just run. Don't go back. That That's like staying in the, in the haunted house after you hear the voice going, get out. No. <laughs> run. Run, Jenny Slate. Run. <laughs> you know, otherwise bad things happen and they did to her. Like, that's... Just run, get out, Jenny Slate, run. But <laughs> but I did, I really enjoyed it because there there were some moments in this where, you know, both her acting, like even silent acting and uh, the way the camera, you know, would roll focus to her as she's, as she's looking at Riz Ahmed and realizing that, yeah, he's, he's crazy. Um, there's a lot of good acting coming out of her in this that I, I think kind of got missed in the whole superhero CGI action kind of stuff. Like, a very good casting choice for this. Can we talk about Reed Scott? Dr. Dan. How is this guy so freaking positive? Like, you had to guess that Anne told him like what happened with her past relationship. You have to, like, at least after the meeting, right? You have to guess that, you know, this is the guy that done Anne wrong. Why is he so nice to Eddie? Like, like, I think he was the perfect actor for that characterization of Dan. But why was Dan so freaking nice? I don't, he's a doctor. Maybe, you know, he took an oath to, Help all, heal all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're playing this off as the guy's just, you know, too good for good's sake, you know, too good to be in a city that's used to giant goo creatures eating heads off people, um, he did that perfectly. Um, I don't know, maybe that's just a, maybe that's a more a script thing and not um, not a him thing. Um, but I did, I did enjoy his portrayal of Dan and it made sense the way he played Dan as to why Anne would be with him. Um, and you know, you see more of that in Leather Be Carnage, but you know, Dan's, Dan's the goods. We like Dan, but Dan's probably too good for his own good in this. I am happy that he never, he was never overtaken by the symbiont. No, 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 that's a good thing. No, we got a she venom. But no, we we didn't get it like a Dan Venom, and I mean there are enough different variants of Venom throughout the comic books that maybe somewhere down the road, Dan does become one. But I mean, who knows, right? Who knows what's next for for you know the the Sony Spider Verse whatever? Um, I'm not going to spoil any more about what you know what happened in No Way Home, but 
you have to think that if Sony is leading up towards some kind of sinister, sinister sex film, that Venom's going to be a part of that. But I'm just curious if there's going to be more Venom symbionts or if we're going to get maybe an Agent Venom with Flash Thompson um, or if we're going to get an Anti-Venom or like there's so many angles they could go down with it. Um, but I don't know if Dr. Dan plays into that or not. It's interesting to see. Um, we mentioned about some of the pacing um, as far as the directing and the script goes. What stood out as good about this, you know, from a director's standpoint, and then what really kind of, it was there anything that hampered it? I think what I noticed the most um, is that you don't really get to the action until the later half of the movie. However, with that said, we also addressed that a lot of the storylines were fast-tracked. So I think as far as pacing, they did exactly what they needed to do with this movie in that, you know, like you want to get to the action. So, okay. A few of the storylines may have to take, you know, a hit because of that. They may have to suffer a little bit. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't, I mean, again, if you just kind of take the movie for what it is, um, an enjoyable comedic, yet dark <laughs> um, superhero movie. It's um, it's perfectly fine. Um, action wise, I thought I thought it was pretty good there. You know, what could have been pretty gory um, was handled lightheartedly. Mm-hmm. I think they knew that they had to make it PG-13. I think they knew that if they went with a hard R like like Deadpool gets away with a hard R and I think it's, you know, not just the, the, the violence per se, but that's more just the swearing. Um, I think if they went that horror type feel for this, I don't think it would have done as well, even though to get released in October and that's when people kind of expect slasher type films and all that. I think Venom is a good October release. One question I have for you that kind of popped it into my mind is, is it because Venom is a Spider-Man villain and because Spider-Man is generally PG-13 or for a younger audience that they wanted to keep the lighter tone? When you think about what Sony's trying to do with their Spider-Verse and the working relationship that is actually in a really good state between Sony and Marvel Studios, you know, I wonder with this first Venom film, I wonder how much input marvel studios had in it um probably not really much of anything because that way they could kind of see how the reaction was to venom and if if it if it tanked at the box office then they could sit there and say well it's just a one-off and we proved that the mcu was right and sony is wrong however you know critics aside the audience liked it enough to you know get it close to 900 million uh, globally so clearly venom worked you know and which is why you start to see i think more marvel influence which is why you got the um the multiversal um end credit scene at the end of let there be carnage so do you think it would have been different though it would have been a completely different movie if and i know a hundred percent that i'm mixing marvel and dc here but if venom 
were a Batman uh, protagonist. Antagonist? Yeah, antagonist. But it depends on the Batman villain, right? And it also depends on the tone of the Batman film. Like, if you take a look at, you know, the Tim Burton era Batman film, which, uh, funny story on that one, uh, the director, Ruben Fleischer, apparently knew he wanted to do a superhero film after he saw Tim Burton's Batman. Like, that was his inspiration to eventually wanting to direct a superhero film. There are some really, really dark Batman villains and storylines. Like, dark. But we haven't really seen too much of those. You know, even, you know, their version of Scarecrow in Batman Begins in the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Um, Darker tone, yes. Um but still not completely all the way dark. Like if you start to go down, you know, a Batman hush type road, if you start to go down a, you know, a a full on Dark Knight Returns road, like you're going to get a much darker Batman and, and eventually much darker villains. Like if you had a Solomon Grundy in there, or if you had, you know, I'm just trying to think of like, if you want full on killer croc in Batman, maybe, maybe you get that kind of venom type villain they haven't gone there yet even with you know the batman paul dano is a brilliantly homicidal riddler um be curious to see where that goes and what they're going to do with uh with uh barry keogan again i apologize if i completely butchered his last name um with him as joker be curious to see what matt reeves does next but that batman series can go dark because it's that way you, I don't think you can go super dark in the DCEU because it's been proven that the darker DCEU films don't work. The ones that are a bit more lighter toned, like Aquaman, like Shazam, um, like the, the Peacemaker series, that's what seems to be winning the audiences over. So you have to think that the DCEU is going to pivot towards that, even though we're going to have you know, the Flashpoint film, which we're going to get our Michael Keaton Batman back. Um, Aquaman, of course, is, you know, got Aquaman 2. And, of course, Black Adam is coming up with the Justice Society. There's, I don't know if they're going to go full dark. I don't know if they're going to go, like, a Justice League Dark Apocalypse War type everyone dies kind of thing. That doesn't seem to work. But yet, Matt Reeves made it work with the Batman. It is, it is interesting. It's interesting, too, that... As I was sitting here, and the reason I mentioned Batman and went the DC route with the question at hand is that there are really no, and I'm sure there there are, but I can't think of an extremely dark Marvel superhero. Not that they've portrayed per, per se, but there are some out there. Um Obviously, we're gonna get we're gonna get something very interesting if they go down, when they go down the Marvel Zombies road again. Um, and I mean, some of the, some of the storylines themselves are just you know we, they they do they can go dark. You know, if you know if we go with the House of M or they had a really true civil war, and like of which the opening scene of the Civil War storyline is this battle gone wrong and like a massive explosion goes off and like kids die and the whole works like it's that goes a dark route 
if they went like full on civil war. Um, they didn't, they went with the MCU version, but again, the formula is proven with the MCU. Why tinker with it? You know, there's going to be bigger villains, but I don't think people want like, you know, a be all end all where it's just a slaughter fest. It makes me really curious about Morbius. But again, I think they'll still temper it in a way because in a sense, Morbius is an anti-hero, just like Venom is. Um, because he, you know, he stumbles upon this, you know, cure for his disease and, you know, that basically turns him into a vampire. So he has to feed, but, you know, he's going to only try and kill bad guys. Again, a la Venom, right? So you're seeing this, you know, I do bad things to bad people because if I don't, then I have to do it to good people so I don't die. Um, if that's the angle they're going to go with Morbius, that's going to be fine. Well, it's too bad in this movie that the symbiont didn't have that same moral code and... The, but, but they start to work with that though they and the little blonde girl i think that actually broke my heart and i was like wow oh the riots in me yeah there. no yeah <laughs> wow eh, well it kind of has to be um i need to point out something though the worst part of this film the absolute to me the worst part of this film is when you get to the credits and you hear that stupid Eminem song. I normally don't have something against Eminem, but his song at the end credits, like just the most annoying soundtrack song ever. But that that's just me. I don't know. Your thoughts on Venom, 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 Venom like no. No, Eminem, <laughs> no stop. Please. And I'm sure there's people who like it, and you know, I I get that, you know. I'm a rock guy. I'm a metalhead guy. I don't mind Eminem. I can't stay in this song. I really can't. <laughs> there have been bad superhero movies with great soundtracks. Looking at you, Daredevil. <laughs> you know, looking at the fantastic. Like there are good soundtracks to bad movies. However, here's a here's a a, a good movie poorly rated with a horrible horrible end credit song but you know i'll probably get flamed for for flaming eminem i do wonder though before we get into everyone else sounding off on this one how much of this do you think is 2018 superhero movie fatigue the timeline what year did venom carnage come out okay so well carnage itself um came out later i think it was um maybe 2020 you know whatever um but if you take a look at 2018 the, the year that this movie came out and i'm just going to run down the list of the superhero movies that were released in 2018 uh, in no particular order here you've got black panther infinity war aquaman deadpool 2 ant-man and the wasp spider-man into the spider-verse like that's just the superhero movies that came out like the marvel and dc ones i'm not even that doesn't even bring in like ready player one solo bumblebee like that is a stacked stacked movie year and i mean just take a look at those superhero films okay black panther loved by pretty much everybody like academy award nominated black panther infinity war 
arguably the best Avengers film, period. Like, I know you like your Age of Ultron. I know you like Age of Ultron. But Infinity War, like any movie that that makes you leave the theater speechless. It's true. That's true. Aquaman. I mean, Jason Momoa with tons of fun. Right. Deadpool 2. (laughs) I mean, come on. Right. Uh, And Ant-Man and the Wasp. Eh, Okay. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Do you think that's why we're sitting here talking about it? Do you think maybe uh, it was a case of... I don't know, superhero fatigue or like. It's possible. Maybe that's, maybe that was reflective in the critics um, low rating. It, it, it very much is possible. And of course, you know, going into it, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you know, coming out afterwards. um, Like (laughs) Venom isn't even the biggest Spider-Man film of 2018. That's into the Spider-Verse. Like, if you take a look at those, you know, I would say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven total superhero films in one year, Venom is definitely not the best of them. But it's definitely not the worst either. Like, of the, of those seven, which do you think would be the worst? Black Panther, Infinity War, Aquaman, Deadpool 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and Venom. Oh, this is a setup. <laughs> How this, is this a setup? This is where <laughs> this is where I'm going to share my opinion and the internet's going to break and blow up because someone on the internet is wrong and <laughs> it's gonna be me. Um No no, it's just your opinion. Your your opinion can't be wrong because it's your opinion. People can sit there and go, How dare she? But no, no, I'm just curious. If you had to say what is the worst twenty eighteen superhero film between Black Panther, Infinity War, Aquaman, Deadpool 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, and Venom. What's the worst to you? Ah, I can just hear the hate mail. Um, You know what? To be fair, there are two of the list I have not seen, Black Panther and Aquaman. I have not seen them in okay, so let's, let's in, take in those, their entirety. Let's take those because you, you you fall asleep so, during movies I know, exactly, all the time. Exactly. My wife has movie narcolepsy. I'm I'm gonna. <laughs> she, However, she, she has seen thousands of movies, but only about seventy five percent of them. I I stayed awake. <laughs> I stayed awake every damn time watching this movie. So that must say something, right? Okay, so uh, taking Black Panther and Aquaman out of the equation. I'm going to go Ant-Man and Wasp. See, I would agree with you. Okay, okay, good. I, I agree that Ant-Man and the Wasp is arguably the worst 2018 superhero film. I'm saying that it's a bad sorry, film. Sorry, Paul Rudd. I'm sorry. <sighs> That's okay. Paul Rudd doesn't need our... Uh, doesn't need our approval. But I would also say that Venom, in my opinion, this and this might be out there... I think Venom was better than Deadpool 2. Oh, than Deadpool 2? Yes, yes, 100%. Yeah. Not the first Deadpool. Yeah, no. But Deadpool 2, um, I I don't. I think it was more of a lackluster sequel. And, you know, yes, we're Canadian and we are saying that about a Ryan Reynolds film, but I think Venom was a better film, even though there are things that could be improved about it. Now, are we counting Deadpool 2 or the Christmas remake oh no no I'm, I'm just talking 2018 because i think because okay. i think once upon a deadpool came out in 2019 i think it was mm-hmm. okay 
But yeah, no, Venom Venom wasn't even the worst superhero film of that year. So I think the critics definitely got this wrong. We're not the only ones to think this, though. Okay? Twitter has spoken. Mm. Okay? Our good friends at the Playlist Wars uh, podcast. By the way, definitely go listen to Playlist Wars. Uh, said both of these movies were awesome, and I honestly don't see what all the hate is on them. But mind you, this is coming from someone who's not a huge movie buff, so take my commentary with a grain of salt. It's okay, Brian. We, we, we take your commentary, salt and pepper. No? Okay. That joke. It's all good. But yes, it, it definitely was a good film. Uh, and then Gomez chimed in as well, for, also from Playlist Wars. I love this movie. Thought it was great. See? Again, the audience over the critics. And we saw that in Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Johnny Rothen on Twitter. Uh, funny in parts and a decent job from the cast, but the main storyline is very predictable and I ended up being more interested by the scenes between Brock and the symbiote than everything else. And that is really interesting because say what you will about Tom Hardy or say what I will about Tom Hardy's portrayal of Eddie Brock, the parts where he is almost negotiating with Venom, that part really did play well. Ryan Wilson at the Krusty Boys chimed in with, I liked it. I thought the sequel was hilarious. Um, I don't know if I would classify uh, Let There Be Carnage as hilarious, but again had its moments uh our good friends over at movie date night chimed in with i definitely loved getting giving venom its own story being completely divorced from any reference to spider-man an alien symbiotic life form that changed shape shift and strengthened its host and the relationship between building the two is quite interesting enough on its own and that's one thing that they did play as well is the benefit of the host that the symbiote can provide when like after the motorcycle chase, Eddie Brock's legs were broken and then all of a sudden they were they were healed. So you can see why the benefit of Eddie accepting the symbiont uh, in there. Like some subtleness to the script as well that was pointed out. Uh, and the Shifty Bench podcast jumped uh, chimed in with, as a fan of the comic character, I'll say that this movie is a better depiction than the third Raimi movie, which is uh, Spider-Man 3. I think it's fine, but the action was pretty dull, and I don't remember much of it, to be honest. Didn't hate it, though. Haven't seen the sequel yet. So, that's one thing, and I want to put this to you, because I know this is where you start to lose the films, is when it's building up, and the characters are developing, and we're really, you know, pushing plot, you're interested into it. But then when the CGI things go smash, big, bang, boom, um, that's when you start to tune out. Um... Did it lose you when we had the the big CGI action hero fight in this? No, because the humor kept my attention. Hmm. I mean, I I can see that a little bit, but it it did seem like, you know, two Etch-A-Sketches got leaked all over each other in this one. It it was a, I started to get lost a little bit in everything that was going on. I think it was really well done and it, it, it wasn't a long drawn out battle no it i mean as far as you know superhero fights it was done and over pretty quickly if you want to bookend superhero fights like big superhero fights in movies obviously um the crud on the bottom of crud's shoe is batman v superman the whole save martha right (laughs) no just no just please dear god no um but then of course like the pantheon to me is 
uh, Captain America Civil War where the, the big airport fight scene where everyone kind of breaks off and you know you have you basically jump back and forth between different little fight scenes and there's a lot of not just good action but good humor in there as well and it mm-hmm. really helped develop characters if those are your two pinnacles so that's your bookends yeah I think Venom kind of fits right about you know mid-range in there you know nothing nothing groundbreaking yet nothing save Martha ask about it I'm trying to think of and help me out here. Is it Age of Ultron that starts with the major yeah, battle where, scene? Yeah, where they're storming Baron Strucker's castle to try and get the um, uh, the Tesseract. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a bold move, right? Starting a movie with that level of action. Mm, I mean, you could say the same thing about Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, where you basically dive in right into the middle of a massive star battle over Coruscant. Um, and yes, I just completely geeked out there over Star Wars <laughs> in a in a you know, Sony Marvel film podcast episode. But I'll sneak in my Star Wars where I can. But it's time, Carrie. It's time to put you on the spot. Who is your MVP of Venom? Okay, I am ready for this. I and you know what? I don't even know the actor's name, but we didn't mention the neighbor. Living across <laughs> the, the guitar playing neighbor, the guitar playing neighbor, because I think that is one of my favorite scenes where <laughs> you know he just like Venom slash Eddie Brock cannot stand the guitar playing, um, and goes and knocks on the door, and just you know, of course, the neighbor's like, Yeah, whatever, man, and then Venom makes an appearance and and it makes me very happy i would have lost a bet i had i had it in my mind i thought i knew who you were going to pick and i was wrong Ooh, okay who was i thought you were going to pick the actress who played mrs chen oh okay i love mrs chen but no i i (laughs) i had to go with the neighbor See, for that now, one scene. See, now I'm curious. I'm mm. going to turn the tables on you. Who do you think my MVP is, given everything that we've talked about in this? Hmm. You know it's not Eminem. <laughs> venom, Venom, going to get my Venom, Venom. No. <laughs> um, that song literally sounds like a, like, a, like a bad jalopy car that couldn't get started. Yeah, I, I think actress Jenny Slate for Doris Girth. She was under consideration. Oh. But in the end, I had to go with Riz Ahmed. Because, and I I stand by this, in order to have a good superhero movie, your villain must be better than the hero. At least on an acting side of things. Um, It doesn't need to be a better character. It just needs to be better portrayed. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode... Um, how David Tennant was the best part of Jessica Jones. Um, you know, I think take a look at Batman v Superman, right? Worst movie villain ever in their Lex Luthor, which is why it didn't. I, I think that was, well, there was so much wrong with that film, let's be honest. But, you know, if that's your Lex Luthor, that, that, that's, that's what you came to the party with? No. No, Riz Ahmed as the sociopathic, brilliant, ruthless, cunning, like he'll charm you in one moment and then 
watch you die in the next. Carlton Drake, Riz Ahmed, my MVP of Venom. Carrie, thank you so much for watching Superhero Movies with me. This is so much fun. And now to you, our listeners. Thank you for tuning in for to us over pontificating for over an hour about superhero films. But if you want to get in on the fun, if there's a movie that you think is unfairly maligned or that you think is so bad that there's no way we can find anything good about it, hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast. We'll watch it, we will dissect it, and we'll have so much fun as we try to find the A grades in B movies. Until next time, take care, everyone. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.